Today on Never Was a Gamer, that Kojima sure has a lot of friends. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time discovering everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me is the foreman of the box factory, Dimitri. Hello. So, really, the only thing you know about this game is that there's a box. We'll get to that. (laughs) So, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We're really glad you're tuning in. If this is your first time listening and you want to know who we are and what we're doing here, um, please feel free to go back and check out episode zero, where we dig into the details of a bunch of that stuff. Um, the short version is Dimitri's loved games his whole life. I played them a little bit as a kid and then really didn't pick them up again until I was an adult. So now we're both fans, but I missed like 15 or 20 years of classics. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about some of those landmark games and what it's like to play them for the first time today. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and thanks for joining us as Michelle prepares to embark on her first Metal Gear Solid mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, before we get into that, uh, there's something we need to address from last time. A little tangent we need to pick up on. What is this about? You might remember last time we had a little laugh when we were talking about Super Metroid and how we were reading a review yeah, in Game Fan and they were pretty excited about it. But they seemed <laughs> oh, no. way more excited about Earthworm Jim. <laughs> right, 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 right. That was Goaty that year in some publications, right? Yeah, in this in this Game Fan. Okay. And I thought, okay. The magazine Game Fan. Yeah, the okay. magazine Game okay. Fan. Um, and Dave Halvertson, the editor, who is also himself a game fan, <laughs> specifically an Earthworm Jim fan, <laughs> as it turns out. So I went and did a little digging because I need to know more. Was that an Earthworm joke? No, but the, it'll work. <laughs> so I did a little digging. I just needed to see how excited they were about Earthworm Jim. And I take it the answer must be very. They covered this thing for like six months <laughs> oh, straight. No. Okay. And Game of the Year is one thing, but, okay, on, on one of the issues, they have Earthworm Jim on the cover. Okay. And, okay, so Game Fan Magazine has this mascot, and he's like... How often does this come out? Is this weekly, where they're looking for covers really frequently? No, it's monthly. Okay. And um, so their mascot of this magazine is like this, like, this, like, muscly robot with, like, a TV head. Like, if you... he like looks from Saga? He looks like... Yeah, he looks like Prince Robot from Saga. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. But that's their mascot. Okay. And and so the cover is Earthworm Jim like gonna punch this guy in the face. And the and their mascot? Yeah, their mascot. Because the, and then the caption is the best game to ever hit a screen. So there's like a visual pun. Yeah. But they also like they mean it. This they're they mean this earnestly. And so I go in and I start and I'm and I'm, I'm reading like so they just have like a one page preview or actually they have a, a couple page preview a lot of it is art and just like one page of text and at this point when this came out the game is about fifty percent done okay and they're already saying that it's gonna it's hard for them to think of anything else that could beat this for game of the year even at fifty percent okay but a game being fifty percent done doesn't mean you can play the first half of it perfectly and then it stops like it's not like loading a video on youtube like so would they have been playing it with like 
not the final textures or just like wireframe? Like, what is a 50% done game? Well, it even was more like? complete than that. Not all the levels were done, okay. definitely. Cause they, and they just, because they have screenshots from a few from a few levels, but already this okay. confidence that they this game. They called it out the, out the gate yeah. before the gate opens. And so, but here's the other thing. And so, Earthroom Gym is made by this company, Shiny Entertainment. They also did the Genesis Aladdin. People like that, right? People like that. I think it's overrated compared to the Super <laughs> Nintendo. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, people like it. But so here's the thing. I remember the guy who ran this company from my childhood, this guy, Dave Perry Whoa. or David Perry, because he, he was he was everywhere. He was like on any TV show, like the media loves him. And even here, it talks about how great of a guy David Perry is and how much access he gives the media. Oh, so everyone just liked him. Yeah. So he was just hanging I'm out. I'm not calling conspiracy here. I'm just concerned about ethics in games <laughs> journalism. So so this is so this is that preview. And then I'm like, okay, what what did they actually review this game? I know they gave it game of the year, but what did they actually review it? So the way GameFan works is that they have uh, three three reviewers and each reviewer gives the game a score on a 100-point scale. So they all review whatever game yeah. they're covering. Okay. And so Earthworm Jim for the Genesis, which is supposed to be the best of the two versions by a little bit. Anyway, the scores are 100 Whoa. 99 99. <laughs> What is a hundred out of a hundred game? Like I can't imagine On what that is. On the adjacent page, because there's a lot of reviews. Final Fantasy three. Oh no, slash AKA six. Final Fantasy six is reviewed. AKA also arguably the best one. Also good scores. Okay. But not Earthworm Jim. Oh no. Here we got ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety eight. I mean, I don't know how to react to that because, like, you, what game would I give a ninety eight to? I can't think of any. Like a nine point eight out of ten. What would I? That's astronomical, but... But not Earthworm Jim less could. Than, <laughs> less than Earthworm And then I'm like, okay, maybe this is just game fans. So I went to... Also, what if this game is good? I went to my old go-to. Okay. Um, EGM that I read a lot at the time. I'm like, what did they give Earthworm Jim? So they also reviewed this in the same issue that they reviewed um, Final Fantasy 3, aka Final Fantasy 6. Yeah. And they did rate Final Fantasy 6 higher. So okay. every So that's four reviewers and they all give it a 9 out of 10. Okay. But Earthworm Jim oh, no. still gets nine, 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 eight. And then one of the reviews ends that, so they're talking about how um, it might be a little challenging. Uh-huh. And so it says, there are a number of cheap hits, but any true gamer should be oh, able to beat it with practice. magic words. This game was made by a gamer uh-huh. and it shows. As opposed to all those other people <laughs> who are making their career and making games who don't give a shit about games. So the thing is, though, like, I remember this game coming out. And I, th- I'm, I think we rented this in my house. Yeah, I, like, definitely, I definitely rented yeah, it. I yeah. was young. Uh, I was pretty young. So like the kind of weird, like edgy yeah. humor kind of yeah, appealed yeah, yeah. to me. So I was excited to check it out. But I don't remember this. Like, I like this is like insanity to me. Like, I feel like I'm being gaslighted <laughs> and somebody has planted these fake reviews. To make me think that Earthworm Jim is better received than it was, because I don't remember this at all. Like you don't remember the press surrounding it. You don't no. remember people falling all over themselves. And I remember about it. kind of following it because I thought it looked kind of cool. Sure. I don't remember people getting this excited about it. This is very excited. So I think we're just gonna have to accept that Earthworm Jim is the best game of all time. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're cover just, it at some point. On what basis do we know that it's not? None. You can't be a real gamer unless you play Earthworm Jim. Is what we're hearing. So And so I think we got added to the list. Okay, can I voice something? 
I don't want to play Earthworm Jim. <laughs> like, well, joke's on you. We're canceling Metal Gear Solid no, and we're playing Earthworm no, Jim instead. No. Like, we pick, we pick like landmark games, but I also have to kind of want to play them for the most part. I. This got <sighs> maybe a I'm wrong. score of 100. From a ding dong, I assume. I, I'm going to have to go see what else these people score. Where's this guy now? Well, I mean. So this is he. This review was done under an alias. I don't even know who it was. Like who, which one of the three it was? Yeah. Okay. But uh, we need. Okay, you need to consider this because you're going to be seen as a fraud apparently <laughs> if you don't play Earthworm Jim. More so. Let's just keep that in mind. Okay. okay. So we'll, do you feel? Do you feel better? Kind no, because we have to. You we st- have to address. You look need, like you still feel crazy. I need to go back and see what what I missed. You look sincerely stressed out about this. We need to address this, okay. but today for today, we'll stay the course. Okay. We'll do our mission. There's a lot to talk about with... Which is Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. And I think that that's the way to go, at least for now. <laughs> okay. So, so now that that's out of the way, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid, which is, as I said, Michelle's not even, not just her first Metal Gear Solid game yeah. or her first Metal Gear game, but, and this might even be more important, her first Hideo Kojima game. Yeah. So I, one of the... One of the main things I know about this game and part of the reason why I actually wanted to play it is um, we're in a moment where Death Stranding is a big topic of conversation and going to come out in not too long. I know that won't make a lot of sense with when this airs, but that's sort of the moment that we're in when we're recording. And Kojima's been popping up everywhere. And every time he appears in public, there's this whole vibe around it that it's like, Oh, Master Kojima, we are so fortunate to have you, a genius like you, in our midst today. Like, that's that's just, that's the tone everywhere right now. Um, Death Stranding looks wild. I'm still not convinced that it's a game, but it's reminded me that people have very strong feelings about Kojima. So was your, because I remember a few years ago, was your, and it was one of the first E3s that you watched, was your first introduction to him when he had that big reveal, when he like came back and debuted the first Death Stranding trailer? So, no, actually. I think I was around when PT was released. Okay. So, uh, just for context and for anyone who like isn't hasn't been following this really closely, um, I think actually I was also around when uh, Metal Gear Solid Five launched, because I okay. know people's opinions about that. Okay, um, so that's kind of... Yeah. That's right, yeah, you wouldn't have... Yeah, because there's such a gap. You wouldn't have actually started being back into games until well after 4 was out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, there's a funny thing, too, where it takes you a while to figure out who is worth paying attention to Mm. and is going to come up again. Because, you know, when you watch something like E3, if you don't already know all the people and the stakes, um, it's really... You see a lot of the game directors or development teams or whatever come and mm-hmm. show a trailer for their game. So it took me a little bit to re- to sort of realize that Kojima is one of the ones that I guess we're all really excited about <laughs> and happy to see. Um, and I mean, I remember I remember the excitement around PT, I rem- which is this like little one shot uh, mini, almost like demo of a horror game that he wanted to make with Guillermo del Toro. That's supposed to be Silent Hills. Oh, I don't think I, okay, I don't think I had put that together in my head. Oh, yeah, that, if you finished it, it said that it was going to be it was oh. like a Silent Hill game. So it was their, Dang. their little promo teaser okay. for a Silent Hill game. Okay. That was super well received. People were really excited about it. I remember you playing it and being like, oh, my God, this is great. Um, and then that project I know fell apart. 
Uh, and then now it's we're sort of straight to Death Stranding, which I know is his first full production, I guess, that's not with Konami. Right. Yeah. Who he'd been with for a long time. And I know there's bad blood between him and Konami, but I don't know what happened. And I don't know if anyone does. Yeah. I mean, I bet I know someone who knows. <laughs> his good friend, Jeff. Oh, my God. So this is... Okay. Okay. So someone's going to get really mad at me for this, but part of why I want to go back and play Metal Gear Solid right now is that I don't feel like I'm getting the best picture of Kojima. And in fact, I feel like I'm being prejudiced against him because of some of the promo for Death Stranding. So first of all, Death Stranding has a lot of crazy shit in it. And I like that. One thing that I'm pro, that's crazy shit in games. <laughs> I like a weird idea that I can't figure out at first. That's great. I'm on board. But I just like Kojima keeps introducing more real life actors who are in this game. And at first it was like, you know, we know that he's, I guess he's like best buds with Guillermo del Toro. They like love each other and want to make a game. That's very cute. He's very fawning over his celebrity friends. Then we got, uh, um, oh my God, what's that guy's name? Not Sean Bean, the other one. Norman Reedus. <laughs> you know, the one who's not Sean Bean. And like Leia Seydoux and Mads Mikkelsen. Like there's all kinds of people in this. And like, that's okay. I get tired of that at a certain point. It's like, okay, we get it. You know famous people. Congratulations. But then the last one that they just unveiled was Jeff Keeley. Maybe your your face looks like you're going to say Earthworm Jim. Like no, that's I, how heated you look right now. <laughs> so Jeff Keeley is the guy who created the Game Awards, right? He's sort of a he's like taking it upon himself to be like the MC of the entire games industry and like trying to make them like more credible in the eyes of people who don't give a shit and that we shouldn't care about. And you know he's like he's like fine, but he's the most delighted with. The fact that he like knows people like he also I'm trying not to use the word starfucker because I don't want to say the F word on this podcast very often. But like that's that's where we're going with this. So Keely is like very delighted with his role in all of this. And Keely Kojima put Keely in the game. Keely is like a little AI thing. Yeah, this in is the, the game. latest. This is so if you want to kind of figure out when we were recording this, that's the latest trailer that we've seen. So this for me, this tips over the scale. Because the thing is, like all the other people who are in it, except for Guillermo, they're all actors, they're all good actors. And most important for me, they all, including Guillermo, have very distinctive faces. I understand why if why you would want Norman Reedus or Leia Seydoux or Mads Mikkelsen to be like looking like themselves in your game. They all have very distinctive vibes and everything. They're very evocative of like a character. I understand that. Jeff Keeley has the average of all white men's faces. He like, you, I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup. He looks like nothing. He looks like nothing. I'm sure he's Not a nice, very nice. I'm sure he's a nice person, but like you don't pick him because he's adding something to like who the character is in your game. So to me, this tipped over and I just was like, no, you are too horny for famous people. I don't know about this. But here's the thing. But he's not even a famous person because nobody outside of... Only in this world. Right. So so I think this is more of a, a favor to a friend. It feels slimy. <laughs> it feels slimy and not in the game's best interest. And 
it feel it feels bad. It didn't feel good to watch. So maybe you maybe you missed this part in the lead up to Metal Gear Solid Five, but you know the part where he replaced his longtime Solid Snake voice actor David Hayter, who will be the voice actor you're going to hear as Solid Snake with Kiefer Sutherland. And there is a lot of controversy around that. No kidding. No, I. you know what? Now that you've said it, I vaguely remember hearing about this at the time. Again, not having the context, really, of like what this means. That sucks. That's awful. I hate that. <laughs> um, first of all, voice professional voice actors are always better at this than people who aren't professional voice actors. But whatever, putting that aside... So I realized before I get myself into a place where I I noticed myself starting to mentally write off Kojima and the works of Kojima. Just because you because you know him only recently and you're not super familiar with his earlier work, even even by I mean, you've heard the names like, I mean, you know, that Metal Gear Solid has a legacy. I think you've mostly heard people talk about. Um, five and everything kind of after five. Yeah, that's exactly it. So before I get to the point where I just can't repair this relationship I have with this person in my head, I want to go back and explore what the Metal Gear Solids are. Because a lot of what I think people like about them is stuff that I also often like about games. So I think there's a really good chance that actually I like his work and I just don't know it. And I feel like if I don't get in touch with it now... He's going to lose me forever, and I'm never going to be able to come back from, like, a weird, bad taste in my mouth. Death Stranding might be good, but it just it's it's feeling weird right now. So that's okay, kind of so now's why... now's the time. Now's the time. It's intervention time for me and Kojima. Okay. Yeah. And so is there anything else that you, uh, that you know about him or that you kind of want to address or are hoping to address about your relationship with his work through playing Metal Gear Solid? I mean, I know he has a reputation for being his things being really epic and really sort of heightened um, in this way that, you know, full of surprises and a lot of creativity. Uh, And so I'm really excited to dig into that stuff. Like, that's all good stuff Mm -hmm. for me. I want that. And also, I feel like there's a certain kind of game dude who Kojima is like their god in gaming. Like, it's he's an interesting figure to me because I feel like in games, probably partially as a function of how many people have to work on a game to bring it to market. We don't, I feel like we don't quite have the same uh, relationship with game directors that we might have with film directors. Like there aren't a lot who I think I mean, think you are, have similar numbers of people working on movies. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, if, if games have the equivalent of like a film auteur, I feel like Kojima is that, right? And like that doesn't exactly work. And also that the concept is stupid, kind of even even in film. But like he's a director who's associated with having a vision, being really distinctive, having a, a singular voice and imprint. And the people are really uh, there's a different excitement when a new Kojima game is coming out than just a new like. The fact that I know the name Kojima, I know mm-hmm. all this stuff about him. I've never played one of his games. And I mean, part of that is um, a symptom of how people, of like how his work has been received and how people enjoy it and talk about him. But an- a lot of it, though, is also kind of self-promoted. So one thing that I mean, I think will become readily apparent as you play any of his games. Um, wanted to be a filmmaker first. Okay. And you'll see in how he presents himself and and will kind of refer to his role as director. And that's not something that was incredibly common 
in like 98 or, or prior. Okay. Like not common as a role that a single person would have or not common as like not a com- way that we would talk about. Yeah, not common as a title. Okay. Often you'd hear about producer or designer. Okay. Um, but director, like importing that term from the film industry was something that I don't know if he, I doubt he was the first person to do it, but it's something that I think was important to him to identify as that role. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because I I was trying to think about this before the podcast and, you know, without spending, if I spend more than a minute thinking about it, I can name a good number of game directors. But if you only gave me 20 seconds to name as many as I could, Kojima would maybe be the first one. Okay. As like a singular mm-hmm. voice at like... I mean, I also, I love Yoko Taro, so Yoko Taro would be tops for me. Like, I know, but which where, is, you know, like, it, yeah. it's a different... But which interesting, like, with Yoko Taro, you've only played one of his games. And loved it. But that's enough for me to, like, which, identify a, a house style with Yoko Taro. I don't, I don't know if it is, though. Ooh. Like, I, because the whole point of the question of this type of authorship or, or tourism is that you can locate across a body of work some kind of consistencies mm. and like locate the singular vision across. And so if you just have one piece of art, right, you can't do that. Right. I guess it's not like saying something is Spielberg, Spielbergian, Spielbergian. That can't be right. But even then you can't do that if he just made like, E.T. or Jaws. What? Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I, I didn't really, like I've never actually studied film stuff. And so... I have sort of a layman's like absorbed through context understanding of what an auteur is, which I associate with this sort of um, like singular creative vision brought to every project. But I hadn't thought about it as something that has to be identifiable as like an imprint on lots of different works that that person does. Um, so, yeah, I guess Yoko Taro maybe doesn't get anyway. He's at I least- mean, he, he he's made more just you haven't played them. Right. Yeah. So it's hard for a person who hasn't d- engaged with everything to use that term. Sure. Sure, but I mean, sure. I think what we're coming back to is that for a, in a lot of ways, right, tourism is something that we project onto people and onto works, not necessarily something that's inherent in it. Yeah, it's like a kind of social momentum that builds up behind a particular person who works on a lot of yeah and in a lot of ways and kind of historically how it's been used is really to justify one's own tastes okay (laughs) right so i mean you see this a lot in how okay so this is a bit of historical stuff but kind of how the auteur theory was kind of taken from france and applied in the u.s context and it was really used as a way to ascribe value to series of films that people saw as like b films oh or even things like Hitchcock, who was seen as talented, but more of right, a thriller director, okay. not a not necessarily a prestige director. Okay. Um, definitely not in kind of these upper echelon of of directors or of artists. And so it was this term that was imported that people then used to say, actually, if you look at all these films that might have been disregarded, you can locate the personality of this director through all of them, and that elevates them as art. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that... That feels like it maps to how I think people talk about Kojima pretty well. But what's really interesting about Kojima, and that uh, is something I'm curious to see in Death Stranding, is that right? He has right. You can say that he has uh, certain concerns, but apart from a few games like, um, like he did some graphic kind of graphic adventure type games like Police Knots and Snatcher. Did this game called Zone of the Enders. Um, He's really his career has been defined by Metal Gear. Okay. 
Like so, even going through because I know there's I know it goes up to Metal Gear Solid Five, but I think there's some other weird in betweeny ones. There's Peace Walker that I think is on PSP. Okay, and then he has Metal Gears, like the original Metal Gears before the Solid series from the '80s. Oh, this is like a spinoff series. No, it's it's a continuation. Okay, but it's we'll, but it we'll turns get into a corner. That. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, because there's a huge gap between two and Solid. Mm-hmm. Right, so he's really been tied to this one kind of this one series and this one really hmm. extended story arc that I don't think he had planned to extend this far. Okay. And so there's we always got this whiffs that he wanted to get away from Metal Gear and do his own thing. No. Nope. And Konami <laughs> just said no. It's like making it's too these. Profitable, right. Too profitable. Right, right, right. And so now that he's kind of off doing his own thing, it'll be interesting to see how people kind of read their experience of him knowing him only through Metal Gear for the most part into, 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 into. Death Stranding. Yeah. Right. I mean, one other big thing that I'm curious about is whether... Because these games also came out a while ago, right? Like most of the people I know who really have strong feelings about uh, Kojima played these games as they came out, which means their their experience of them also, you know, for better and for worse is tinged by nostalgia. And so mm-hmm. I do also have a bit of a question about what these will look like to me with my tastes being formed in the 2010s, basically, mm-hmm. and also infused by, like, there's lots of weird games now, right? Mm-hmm. And so some of his, like, flair and excesses, and I think some of the things that defined, at least in my understanding, defined, like, what people like about his work, like, I can find those lots of places now. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was always true. I mean, 5 came out in the 2010s, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. But um, most, yeah, the, most of his stuff came out prior to you getting involved. Um. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how all that feels today and i yeah i just would like to be a little more informed on this before my my prejudices against being impressed by jeff <laughs> Keeley like run away with me and make me write all this off okay so you playing metal gear solid has these really heightened personal stakes apparently well n- no because it doesn't like what do i make of this man what do I, how am i supposed to feel about this <laughs> okay so you know that um this is a a series associated with Kojima, mm-hmm. who's directed all of them. And what else do you know about Metal Gear or what else excites you about it? Or is that the only reason you want to play it? I mean, that's the biggest thing that excites me. I know a mm. couple of other things. I mean, I know it's a it's a stealth action game. So you're sneaking and shooting, basically, I think. Um, I know that the main character is Solid Snake, I think. Okay, so one of the things that I don't know, I know there's other snakes. I know that there's like Liquid Snake. There's... um. I think there's Metal Snake. There might be Punish Snake. But I also don't know if... Uh, oh, he made a face. There's no Punish Snake, people. No, I, no, I, no, that's not what that face was for. There's One of them's wrong. Um, but I don't know if those are all... Like, does Solid Snake take on those names at other times? Or are those other... Is this like a Kill Bill thing where like there's... Like they're all named after different snakes... But instead of being named after different snakes, they're just a different adjective. Just, before yeah, snake. like an adjective plus, plus snakes, different kinds of snakes and like green snake, <laughs> blue snake. Um, so I know that. I know that the tone is supposed to be like internally very serious. Like the characters in it are taking it incredibly seriously and really high stakes. But I know that also there's sort of a melodrama to it. And also there's some like almost like goofy or playful elements Mm -hmm. in it that come in, I think, through uh, some cutscene stuff, some narrative stuff. And I mean, like, 
this is probably the right time to share that the first thing I ever knew about Metal Gear Solid, and still the first thing that comes to mind if someone asks, what do you know about this, is that Snake hides in a box. (laughs) (laughs) He hides in a box and he sneaks around. I don't know. I have worked so hard to remember where I would have first seen this, how this became the first thing that I know. I'm genuinely not sure. Maybe I saw Speedrun at Games Done Quick. So I was thinking about this. Okay. I don't know if this is where to locate it, but do you remember years ago when we went to see video games live, the uh, like yeah. orchestral game oh, production? Oh, yeah. They do a bit. Correct. Before doing Metal Gear Solid where he, like, he sneaks across and hides in a box. But I think I already knew about you it already at knew that, that point. Okay. I think I already knew about it. Okay, so the the box predates that. That's, uh, that's I don't know. Good. I knew about the box so it's early. Like Michelle gets back into games and day two, she knows about the box. <laughs> I'm like, there's a box in one of them. <laughs> you hide in it, you sneak along. And it's like the cartoon thing of like hiding in a potted plant where you like put it down and just go still and people can walk by and not see you. And then I think you like walk like <laughs> still under the box and but then have to like drop down and be still when it sounds goofy. So... Uh, I know about the box mm-hmm. and, you know, in the, in sense of the, um, the like sort of elevated kind of crazy stuff that I've been talking about, one of the other main like visual things that I have in my head and know about, which I'm pretty sure isn't from this Metal Gear Solid, but is a Metal Gear Solid is the fire whale. Like it's like an explosion. That's like a whale. Five. To, okay. So that's recent. Yeah. You know, a lot of five. Okay. Yeah. So my, I would have five. seen that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the only character who's not Snake that I know is also in Five. There's, I forget if her name is Quiet or Whisper, like the bikini lady. Um, I I don't, oh, isn't there someone named Ocelot? But I don't, I don't actually know. Is that a thing? You'll find out. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. There may or may not be a guy named Ocelot. Um, so as as you will glean, I actually really, really don't know a lot about this. But you are really excited, you said, by by at least what you think the tone is, the, yeah. the melodramatic yes. tone. Yes, okay. 100%. So, and I will tell you, Kojima, huge movie fan, wanted mm-hmm. to be a director, but also a huge fan of like 80s American action movies. Okay, great. That makes sense. That explains things like the bandana that I know there <laughs> is or headband. I don't know which it is, but there's like a forehead thing. And then I know at least in some of them, I don't know when it happens or if it always is there, but he has an eye patch in some of them. Also, I just want to say it now. At some point, I'm going to call him Snape on this podcast. I don't know why I keep wanting to do that. I don't even, I don't care about Harry Potter at all. That's one of her flaws. For some reason, I don't give a shit about Harry Potter, but for some reason, I keep wanting to say Snape and not Snape. Solid Snape. So Solid Snape and Liquid Snape. Um, so that's going to happen at some point and just, I know, I know, I can't help it. Um, so I know, I think one of the big like themes in this, there's something about like, uh, brotherhood, like military. He's like a, I think he's some kind of military guy, maybe a Navy SEAL, something like that. Like, but not necessarily a Navy SEAL. There's something about comrades in arms. It's like a theme. There's something about betrayal. There's, um... Are you just throwing out military film? No, tropes? no. I know this. Is, I know this stuff is in <laughs> these games specific. I mean, also probably yeah, military theme traps. Um, I guess one of the weirdest things for me is that like when I look at Snake's character design or his face or whatever, um, he doesn't look like someone who would be quiet. 
Like intellectually, I know that this is a stealth game. And so he's sneaking around and, but he looks like a big dude who shoots things and blows shit up. Like he doesn't look that different to me from like BJ Blazkowicz. Same vibe. Do you know what he looks like? I think so. (laughs) Is there a Metal Gear Solid called Ground Zeroes? Yes. Okay. It's like a, that's like a. A lead into five. Okay. It's like a free download. I think that one. Oh, no, you have to pay. The cover is like a close-up of his face, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is like his face. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I'm drawing Okay, do you know what BJ Blazkowicz looks like? Yeah, I played a recent Wolfenstein. Okay. Or, But yeah, he's just like a big square jaw, like military guy with that that haircut that they all have. (laughs) And a bandana. And a bandana and and sometimes sometimes an eye patch, yeah. And that's snake. And that's and that's what you know. Pretty well. Honestly, that's pretty much it. Um, I have no idea where the title comes from, having a clue. Uh wouldn't know where to start thinking about that. Um Perfect. Th- that's really it. <laughs> I'm in your hands. So maybe before we continue, I should give you a little bit of context about about this series so you can learn that Solid Snake is more than a, a man in a box. That would be great. <laughs> so Metal Gear Solid was released, at least in North America, in October of 1998. And so this is 10 years after, or kind of more than 10 years after the original Metal Gear, which was released in 1987. What system are we on? So, okay, so Metal Gear originally was released on the MSX2. What? Which is like a... That's hybrid computer console thing. I've never seen one in person that was really popular in Japan and a little bit in Europe, but not at all in the US okay. or in North America. And prior to the NES, that's kind of where a lot of big game releases were in Japan. It came out in Japan. So Konami released a lot of their stuff on the MX- MSX2. And so it was originally on that and then was eventually ported to the NES um, about a year later. And so what's really interesting is that, right, you know this is a stealth action game, and Kojima didn't initially set out to make a stealth game. Um, Instead, he was kind of commissioned to make um, an action game, Hmm. but had to work within the constraints of the MSX platform. And so the MSX couldn't actually process a lot of sprites at once. It couldn't, and the screen couldn't scroll. So Kojima said, okay, it's actually really hard to make an action game um, when you need multiple enemies on the screen, you need kind of bullets on the screen flying from the enemy's weapons. And so what do you do to solve this problem? So the solution then was to you make... get in the box. <laughs> <laughs> you get in the box. Because, yeah, he decided to make a game where instead of shooting enemies and rushing them across the screens fast-paced with a lot of enemies, that instead um, it's going to be a game about avoiding enemies and kind of treating each screen as a discrete scenario, almost like a little puzzle box on each screen. Okay. And so that's how he that's how he kind of got into this stealth genre. It wasn't the first stealth action game, but it was uh, one of the first to popularize it and kind of open that up as a possibility. Hmm. Um, so it was a pretty big hit, especially in the U.S., more popular in the U.S. than Japan. Probably like we talked about Super Metroid because it it picked up on a lot of kind of American film iconography and really did appeal to kind of Western sensibilities. 
Right. So it was a big hit. And then Konami developed Metal Gear 2 for the NES, only for North American markets. And with this one called um, Snake's Revenge, <laughs> Kojima was not involved. Oh, no. Oh my god, that's dumb. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> and then the story is that somebody who worked on that saw Kojima like on a subway and said, hey, you should make your own proper sequel. And he said, I will. <laughs> and he went. Is this apocryphal? <laughs> I I it's I Whatever. don't know when Kojima said I assume Kojima said this in an interview at some point. This is the Kojima mystique also. That's it. It, so, it genuinely could be real. That, that's the thing. So I have no idea. I have okay. not sourced it. I've just kind of heard the story. I've not traced okay. it back. Great. Um, but then he did and he made kind of the proper sequel to Metal Gear, which was which was called Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. And that was only in Japan. And so we didn't actually see it in North America until I think it was released on a on like a Metal Gear Solid 3 collection on the on PS2 or PS3. Okay. Like I think PS3. Like I don't think we saw it until about 2005ish in in North America. But the ideas that are in that version inspire a lot of the ideas in Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid is like kind of the perfection of Okay. what things he was trying to accomplish in 2 and just couldn't do to technical limitations. And so Metal Gear Solid is the third in the series. So like with Super Metroid you actually put your your entry point is number 3. And they do have continuity between, like they. There is, yeah, there is continuity, but you can. This was meant almost as as part of the story, but also as almost a soft reboot, so okay. people could enter it because the expectation wasn't that people would. I mean, the expectation was that people in North America would not have actually played the second game that wasn't really released here. That wasn't released here. They, right. they don't in ninety eight. They had no way to access it in English. Okay. So there is, so you can kind of start fresh, and there is stuff in the game that catches you up on the on the lore okay. and the story. Because the lore is pretty extensive, even at this point. Oh boy, it's, it's pretty deep already. At three. Is this gonna be a Kingdom Hearts like <laughs> scenario? Oh, there, that would be a great crossover. Oh um. So the game itself takes place a few years after, or several years after Metal Gear Two, and kind of a few years into the future, as of nineteen ninety eight. It takes place when you when you play, you'll actually see the date. It takes place in the early two thousands. Anyway, so it was released in um, in October 1998 um, on on the PlayStation. So you had a PlayStation at home, mm-hmm. right? And so, what's your experience with it? Because that's I think right that's the time when it was more your brothers playing games. Yeah, we did have a PS One. This was right in the middle of the period where I was not playing games at all. But the one exception, which I think I talked about in episode zero, is that um, my brothers at this point told me that I might like Final Fantasy Nine. This one weird game that didn't ask a lot of you in terms of being able to control things well. And so I played that and loved it. But that was literally the only time I held that controller hmm. until like until I was in my 20s. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the original PlayStation really had a reputation for being right a JRPG machine. Chrono Cross is on that. There's, there's so many good okay. JRPGs on there. And also the home of kind of 3D action games geared more towards an an older crowd like that's where you get tomb raider that's where you get resident evil series starting okay. yeah and metal gear is as we'll talk about metal gear solid was kind of seen as right, the culmination of all of the work that's been done in 3d action games up to that point like okay, the cool. best version of that possible on that hardware um, my own experience with that i didn't have a playstation 98 um, i had an n64 and that was we we're a strong nintendo house but i do remember reading about it a lot and the thing I remember the most is there's this, for me, like the iconic image of Metal Gear Solid was this 3D render of this character that's referred to as the Cyborg Ninja. And you'll see this in a bit. Okay. 
And so it's just this guy in this like sleek exoskeleton with like a helmet with like a, I don't know, like a red alarm thing in the forehead. Okay. And this guy like kneeling over a grate with a huge sword. Oh. And that's the image. And then I found out later that that was from like a CG scene in a trailer they showed at one of the E3s that was never actually in the game. They took all this. They were initially supposed to be CG cutscenes, and those were taken out. Oh. So this image that I remember is not in the game at all. <laughs> Weird. But it's like I had no context of what the series was. So I saw. I thought either that must be Snake. Right. The protagonist. That's either or... got to be the protagonist or like the main villain or right, something. Right. 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 Um, so I thought he was going to be incredibly essential to to the story so that's so i'd always kind of thought that until i played it i remember that and then i remember the art style like um of the character designs like yoji shinkawa's actual art so not what they actually look like rendered but the actual character designs the initial like the sketches is that a designer i should know um you'll probably recognize the style i okay. think you've probably seen them before he's worked with kojima always Okay, I mean, um, I, I mean, he's worked for, with him since Metal Gear One. Okay, or, sorry, since Metal Gear Solid One. Since okay, this one, and I remember those images more than any kind of individual actual screenshots. So, when did you actually play this for the first? I'm getting time? there. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember the other thing I remember is reading as it was getting close to it, kind of reading about it and not really being able to imagine what the gameplay would be. I hadn't played anything kind of stealth oriented, thinking that it reading about kind of really complicated AI systems and thinking this would just be too hard for me. Mm. And I also remember reading EGM and seeing that it got its first ever platinum score. So four tens. Whoa. Yeah. First one of all time. Whoa. And so that kind of stood out. Are these, this isn't the earthworm gym people. This no. is the other people. They also okay. scored, they, they're the ones who gave three, three nines and an eight. Okay. But never before has anything gotten all tens. Okay. That's like, okay, maybe I should play this. And then, so I had a friend who had a PlayStation and he brought it over. And we kind of um, played through it together. And I remember watching him play. I thought, oh, this is nothing like I had imagined it. Hmm. Like it had so much more personality. The characters were way more interesting than I thought. It wasn't this kind of alienating military thriller. It was actually something much more human and personal. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, I really, I really liked it. So that's when I played it. So that would have been probably 99 okay. that I actually got around to playing it. 99, early 2000. Okay. Pretty close to release. Yeah. I probably didn't get around to it right away because in 1998, I was, especially towards the end of 98, I was pretty busy playing a bunch of other things because um, 1998 was a really significant, kind of a beastly year in terms of in terms of releases. So just to give you a sense of other things that came out the same year as Metal Gear Solid, mm -hmm. um, you have Resident Evil 2. Oh, yeah. You have Xenogears, which um, at the time wasn't incredibly re well received, but has kind of, is a, definitely like a cult favorite RPG. Mm -hmm. Um, Banjo-Kazooie, which was seen as kind of picking up the mantle of Super Mario 64 on the N64. That's the first Banjo? Yes. Okay. You have Grim Fandango coming out, which is still seen as one of the best adventure games of all time. Mm -hmm. You have Half-Life coming out in November, which is seen as, I mean, it did revolutionize first-person shooters. Um, you have Crash Bandicoot Warped, um, which is seen as the best Crash Bandicoot game of all time. Oh, good. <laughs> you have... Um, and this is the other one. And so in November, so because Metal Gear would have come out late October, just a few weeks later, you'd have Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time coming out. Right. Which again right. is was right. upheld as the greatest game of all time. So you had within a, a month, two games coming out on two different systems that were seen as maybe the greatest game ever made up to this point. And mm. 
a lot of people still think they're maybe the greatest games ever made. Right. Definitely. I hear Ocarina coming up as lots of people's like favorite game ever or thinking yeah. of in the same way that people talk about Super Metroid. And in- so, yeah, so as a kid, the, the thing that kind of blew my mind is I read that one review and then the next month might have been the next month. Maybe it was a few months. In my mind, it was the next month they yeah. reviewed Ocarina of Time, second platinum they've ever given. Oh, and yeah, as a, as a kind of Nintendo fanboy kid, it was like, OK, like we're everything's okay with the world. The balance has been restored. (laughs) We're back on top, baby. (laughs) The other thing that was really interesting is around the the time of Metal Gear, you also had um, Tenchu, Stealth Assassins, and Thief the Dark Project released, which are two other games that really emphasize stealth mechanics. Okay. Is that related? There was a Thief game a couple years ago, wasn't there? Yeah, that was a a reboot of this series. Oh, okay, okay. And um, and Tenchu is very, it's a a ninja stealth game. Um, A lot of People thought that Sekiro was going to be a Tenchu. Oh, like okay. they're actually aesthetically and in some ways, in terms of gameplay, quite similar. Hmm. And so you did have these three games with Metal Gear Solid kind of leading the charge that really made people take notice of stealth as being a viable option for game mechanics. So that's where you get, we start getting an explosion of games that incorporate stealth or that are stealth games after. Okay. Yeah. And so that's, um, yes, that's what's going on in, in 1998. It's a pretty stacked year. But unlike something like Zelda, the hype around Metal Gear wasn't as immediate because Zelda had this, right, has this long history. Anytime anybody knows a new Zelda's in production, they get excited. It's a big event, yeah. Yeah, it had been a while, especially since a Kojima-led Metal Gear game had been released in the US. It had been since 1988, so 10 years. So is Kojima a known entity at this point? Like, do people get excited about a Kojima game at this time? No, not really. His name wouldn't have been well known. Because remember that people, the last thing most people in the US would have played of his would have been Metal, Metal Gear, Gear in 1988. Right. Okay. Um, in between, he released a bunch of other things that were either on, were never made it to the US, weren't translated into English, or weren't on systems that were incredibly popular. Okay. In between kind of doing Metal Gear 2 that was just in Japan and Solid, he worked on kind of graphic adventures. Which, again, didn't have the same popularity. Right, Maybe we right. can play some of those later. So, yeah, nobody really knows who he is. They haven't seen, especially in the U.S., a Metal Gear game since 88. Mm-hmm. Or, like, a Kojima-led one mm-hmm. since 88. And so, at first, when people kind of got word that this new Metal Gear, 3D Metal Gear, was coming out, there was, I mean, there was interest, but nobody was making a big deal of it. It was revealed at the Tokyo Game Show in 1996. And at that time, it was just referred to as Metal Gear for the PlayStation. So at this point, it was really just framed as another example of Konami resurrecting one of its old franchises. It had brought back Contra, it had brought back Castlevania for their current gen, and now it was bringing back Metal Gear. But at this time, there were no real lofty expectations. Okay. So anyone who played that game 10 years ago and liked that game is maybe like, oh, neat. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Yeah. And even at this point, because it's in 3D, there's uncertainty about whether it will still be a a stealth game. Or if it's going to go more action-oriented, something like a Tomb Raider or even a Resident Evil. Right, when we don't have those constraints and stuff anymore that sort of shaped. Okay. Yeah, so when people really start taking notice is E3 1997, where Konami showed up with a six-minute gameplay trailer. Okay. (laughs) That's the one that had these CG elements of of the Mm. Cyborg Ninja. I'm seeing the genesis of (laughs) the Kojima promotion strategy. Yeah. What? Yeah. Man loves a CG trailer. Yeah, and so... um, Everybody kind of sat up and took notice at the, at this point. So the CG was only, there's only maybe 10 seconds of CG. Everything else was gameplay trailer oh, okay. of the rest of that six minutes. Mm. And what, what really struck people, like EGM talked about it, GamePro talked about it, is that it was set up like a movie trailer. Hmm. And, it, and it did show that you could kind of 
see the action from multiple camera angles, which hmm. was relatively new at the time. And um, right, that, that it confirmed that this would be a 3D stealth game. Cool. And so there it really starts getting some buzz and people start talking about it. Later on that year, journalists get a chance to go to Japan and actually look at look at a build at Konami headquarters in Japan. And that's really where people get incredibly excited. Um, okay. EGM had this very hyperbolic headline, right? Is this the most anticipated PlayStation game of all time already in 1997? Suddenly after it sort of being like, oh yeah, another one of those, like a couple months prior. Well, it wasn't necessarily another one of those. It was, I don't know what this is. Okay, okay. And now we've seen a little bit of it and it looks like it might be great. Yeah. And and so one thing they talk about is that it is going to be kind of a continuation of Metal Gear and, the, and those kind of gameplay mechanics. But everybody kind of came away talking about how much attention to detail there was. You, I, and I remember reading about things where people would talk about, okay, so if you're in the snow and you left footprints, guards would notice and they mm. and they track them. Or you'd see um, breath coming out of the guards' mouths if you're, if you're out in the cold. Cool. Or if you're firing a weapon, you'll see the shells fall out of it, right? Mm-hmm. There is this kind of attention to detail graphically, but also that it carries over to the AI. So they can they can track you. They can hear you. Cool. And all of this was um, relatively new. And so by the time you get to 1998, by the time you get to E3 1998 and the months before the release in October, you do have uh, excitement and hype at a fever pitch. People are pretty sure this is going to be a, a really good game. Okay. The, and E3 is like, is it still in June at this point? Yeah. Okay. So it's like a handful of months before it comes out, but not so far that there's nothing to show. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, EGM had a preview where they played a an almost finished build of it. They said, quote, it's not often that we come away from spending time with the game. Absolutely certain that it's something new, fresh, and truly incredible. If nothing else, Metal Gear Solid offers a new ray of hope for gamers. Whoa. <laughs> in that it actually defies description. Ooh. You'd think they're writing about Earthworm Jim. <laughs> oh my God. See, that's great. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> that's what gets me hype about a game. That's yeah. what I want to be surprised. I want to see people being surprised. It was it was like this the excitement they hurt and the hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they go through, they describe these sequences in, in detail. In that same preview, they talked about this one moment. Um it's early on, so I'll j- I can just kind of tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. There's a moment where Snake meets this character who's the DARPA chief. And they said this is a defining moment that is going to change games forever and will be marked as a moment that people look back on as games changed as of this scene. Whoa. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, like, again, so what do you think? <laughs> you'll, well, that's for, next, that's for <laughs> okay. the next episode after <laughs> okay. you've played it. <laughs> okay. But people are getting very excited. There's, sure. there's now no hesitation saying that this will be something special. And this is pretty consistent across publications at this point. One thing that I was always looking um, through old magazines that I noticed was that this one publication, Arcade, had a letter from Gabe Newell. Oh. From Valve. Yeah. So before he was a household name, because this is right, this is a month before Half-Life is going to be released. Oh. So he's just a guy he's at Valve. Gabe. He's yeah. just Gabe. This is the letter from Gabe. Yeah. But he says, the game I'm looking forward to the most right now in the U- is the US version of Metal Gear Solid. We got a hold of the Japanese demo and a group of about 15 of us stood around and watched. There were a ton of impressive things. But when one of the people watching said, hey, can you do anything with the cardboard box? Uh, (laughs) And when we were able to hide (laughs) under it and sneak past the guard, then the game pretty much owned me. Yeah. (laughs) It's not just me. (laughs) Yeah. People are excited by the box. We love the box. (laughs) Which again, the box is a a Metal Gear like 2 edition. 
or like a Metal oh, Gear. Okay. Like there is a legacy of the box in the 2D games. Oh, cool. <laughs> but again, nobody would really, right. a lot of people aren't familiar with them. And so the box is, the box is exciting. And yeah, and then it was again, like incredibly well-reviewed across publications. EGM gave it, like I said, their first platinum. Mm-hmm. GamePro also gave it. I think they have a strange system. Maybe we can talk about rating systems one day, especially old ones, because they they always break games into these weird component parts. They rate it on graphic sound control and fun factor. Okay. <laughs> Which so, so they don't really give a a great impression yeah. of what this game is kind of as a total as a whole experience. Right. Um so I think it got two four and a halfs and two fives. Okay. So it got a f- out of five? Out of five. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um but yeah, by and large people love this game. Okay. Um the only thing is that it was a bit overshadowed by Ocarina of Time. Like mm-hmm. I said, in a lot of cases, publications would review them in the same in the same issue. Mm. And in a lot of cases, Ocarina of Time got more coverage. Um, I don't want to say that it was underrated because it like I mean the hype was real. People were excited for it and people loved it. Right. But because it was put next to Ocarina of Time, which people saw as maybe the greatest game ever. Right. And also is a Zelda. And is a like, Zelda, yeah. You know Zeldas, you love Zeldas, everyone's hyped for this. Good news, this is the best one. Like that's yeah. Yeah. So maybe so maybe you can even imagine a world where people would have been even more excited about Metal Gear Solid when it came out and paid even more attention. Mm-hmm. So I promise this is the last joke I'll make. In a lot of ways. I don't believe it. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Metal Gear Solid is, is like what they said like, Earthworm Jim was going to be. It's Final Fantasy VI to Ocarina of Time's Earthworm Jim. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, there's a lot of these kind of extensive, really super positive previews and reviews that did a lot of the promotional work, but they also had an ad campaign and um, importantly, the distribution of demo discs. And so I don't think. Like with when you buy something else, you also get. Or like it goes out in a game magazine, like yeah. So I guess you never had this experience because you would have been you would have been completely kind of I off never, the ra- off I, the games radar during demo disc. I don't think time. I ever cracked a games magazine mm. in my life. Okay. Um, well, I mean, you get them in a few ways. So you got them with games magazines. Um, certain ones, like um, official PlayStation magazine. Um, PSM would give them out every once in a while. If you played PC games, and that's how I got them, PC Gamer every month, you get a demo disc. Oh. It was so exciting because it's just yeah videos and trailers of Go upcoming try something. things. something, yeah. Demos of, of upcoming things. Um, right, And this is before there's good internet. This is yeah. when you click on the best you see of a trailer is like a shitty little quick time. Right. If that, if you can even access that. Right. So it was, it was the way to access new games um they're incredibly exciting so there's a big demo disc push through magazines bundled with new playstations there was a demo disc that included um, metal gear solid they had a demo disc um, promotion with pizza hut and on those <laughs> demo discs would include metal okay. gear solid and yeah and so even the hype was built through those discs because there were there were discs that had um short trailers there is disc um that we'll watch in a bit that had the e3 trailer so you could oh. see the thing that everybody was freaking out about or at least okay. the 1998 e3 trailer there's one that had a playable demo but the voiceover was just in japanese and then there was one with the english voiceover so there are even these stages of demo discs cool kind of building your excitement for the game cool and so we're going to take a quick break to look at some of the advertising the previews and the promotional material and just a reminder that everything we talk about uh will be linked to in the show notes if you want to follow along So we'll be right back. (music) 
So now Michelle has seen a bunch of promotional materials, some previews, and I think has a better sense of the aesthetic of the game and at least the aesthetic that they were trying to promote to the general public. One thing I did show, just so she knew that I wasn't making this up, is how <laughs> prominent the cyborg ninja was on in so many of the previews and on so many of the uh, promotional materials. Yeah, that's no joke. I actually, you showed me one case where that figure, whoever they are, is on the cover, which I... And Snake like, is not on the cover. Yeah, he's not there. It's like just, it's a nice illustration of the cyborg ninja. So I guess they're important in the game, I assume. But you see why I might have thought that this yeah. was the protagonist or at least For sure. incredibly central. So we'll see what happens in the actual story. But that was definitely, in my mind, this game was about this character. Yeah, I totally see how you would get that impression from from what we looked at just now. And so the other thing I really wanted uh, Michelle to get a sense of was um, the Yoji Shinkawa's art and his kind of style of illustration, because in so many of the magazine previews, screenshots were always accompanied by some of those illustrations. Mm -hmm. And so what I got her was uh, a set of, so I'll just tell you what they're called now. This is this is Foxhound. Okay. That's what this group of characters is called. Okay. This did appear in in a magazine, but I removed the names because I and the information that they provided because I don't want her knowing really anything about them. <laughs> Um, before she goes in, but it is kind of this this group of six characters called Foxhound, and um, maybe you can give us your impressions of these characters. So first of all, what do you think of this as a as an art style? I like it. There's sort of a, a almost watercolory sense mm -hmm. to it, but it still has really like clear lines. Um, yeah, no, I I'm into this. Um, lots of stuff is just blacked. I don't know. It's it's like I'm very curious how this maps to what is in the game. Like, mm -hmm. I always, I hope this isn't one of those cases where sometimes you see concept art for something and you're like, oh my God, this looks so amazing. And then in the actual game, it just is a guy like with a shirt. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> so you know how um, we see the art, like Amano's art for Final Fantasy, mm -hmm. at least the earlier Final Fantasies, and it's not quite his, right? They can't yeah. quite translate his illustration style into the game, but you can still see the character of it. Yeah. I think that's maybe what you'll what okay, you cool. expect. That would forward. be, yeah. that would be totally satisfying. I mean, this is, there's a lot of variation between these figures. Like, I don't know if you want me to run through them. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe run, maybe run through them and uh, the listener can guess who you're talking about. Okay. Uh, so the first guy on the left is wearing a trench coat. He's got a huge forehead like the brain from Animaniacs it looks like he's wearing someone else's face on his face um then there's this like floating woman question mark in a gas mask that is has some bondage stuff happening then there's a guy who was an extra in the movie Wild Wild West um and then a guy in the middle who's like um the the like male pinup version of a military dude. He's like uh, bare chested, like no shirt, dog tags prominent, long green uh, like trench coat and like green like combat pants and boots. Uh, he's got a blonde mullet. Um, he could have made some coin in the late 80s. <laughs> That's what I think. And then a uh, green haired anime lady tits out, guns out, let's do this. And then last, we have another shirtless guy. Can we talk about Kojima and like male bodies and masculinity at we some point? We should after you we... played the game. Okay, great. Yeah. 
Cause I, I'm my, uh, my spidey sense is tingling. Is that all this tingling? dude's, <laughs> it's not my type. Um, I don't like muscle dudes. You know that. Uh, he's like jacked and he's carrying like a full ass machine gun and he's got strapped to his back like a turbine. Like it's like, you know, those, um, those boats that you go through the Everglades in that have like a wind thing on the back it looks like he ripped the the wind propulsion system off of one of those things one of those airboats just just to clarify when michelle first saw this guy she said quote i like his fan i like his fan i do <laughs> i'm sure that's not a wind turbine based on the fact that you're making a thing of this but it that's sure what it looks like um i don't know what he's gonna do with it but i'm on board so are you excited to to meet these characters I am, especially last dude. I really <laughs> want to know what's up. I also want to know why that one dude is dressed in like a uh, old west <laughs> sheriff weird thing in this game that like does not seem to be that style. Like I have so many questions about what this world is based on these designs. Girl, you'll get some answers soon. But I think you see too how this this art especially communicate so much more of the character that the screenshots alone can't because so many of the screenshots are from these gray, blue, gray interiors. Right. Um, and they like kind of metal, all look, you would say. <laughs> yeah. They do kind of all look similar and they, mm -hmm. and really there's, I mean, you'll see there's not a ton of kind of location variety in this game, but the character comes from elsewhere. So I, I think that's why they've always included some of this art in the in okay. promotional like materials. This is the part that we want you to be excited about and invested in. This is the the shine. Yeah, and you, okay. and it, and you can't communicate kind of the moment to moment excitement of the gameplay through those still shots, right? Right. right so the right. still shots alone of right snake against a wall right. are not the most, <laughs> which actually might lead me into the other thing we watched because you commented on it uh, uh, on how much he was against a wall mm -hmm. in um, the trailer we saw. So we watched a demo disc trailer, which was the E3 1998 trailer that the trailer would have been shown at E3 1998. And uh, so what did you what did you think of it? Was it an effective trailer for you? Um, it definitely has momentum. Uh, I'm I think I'm on board with this game. But yeah, I the first like minute of it is just different shots of Snape, almost at Snape against a wall, just standing still pressed against the wall while some dude walks somewhere nearby. All different angles, different contexts, different elevations. There's snow in some. But yeah, it's basically just like snake against the wall, snake against the wall, snake against the wall, to a point that's like almost funny mm -hmm. by the end. Um, like, is this the game? He's like this tough, like military dude. Um, and then and it keeps cutting back to the Metal Gear Solid logo for some reason. It's like, this is the game. This is also the game. This is also the game. You're like, he has just stood against walls <laughs> so far. Um, and then gradually it sort of ramps up. So the next thing, the next like series of little mini scenes are dudes who are patrolling like noticing him like getting the little like exclamation mark above their head like the alert um and then after that it escalates to them actually having the conflict like getting caught they like uncover him in the box um and then it gets to combat only at the very end where you start getting the sense that he also can fight like if he if this isn't just about sneaking you also if it comes down to it can actually like throw down uh, so i thought it was I thought, I thought it was cool. It had like so, good momentum. So based on the trailer, was there anything that you're excited? Were there any moments you saw that I, I'm excited to do that thing or see this set piece? Um, 
sniper rifle with heat scope. Oh yeah, That's I don't right. know why. I I, I I love a good sniper rifle. There's a scene where he's hanging from a rope and like walking sideways along a building, like Tom Cruise did in that one movie. Pretty stoked about that. That rules. There's like a helicopter buzzing around, and he's just like, yeah, um, yeah. There's like a good. He dives into water and goes underwater to like escape. You love water. I don't always. <laughs> I but this doesn't look like it's going to make me do stupid, shitty swimming mechanics. <laughs> and if it does, I'm going to come back here and be mad about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's like a decent variety of stuff going on, including a lot of like, oh, he uses a guy as a bullet shield. He like grabs mm. a guy and then another guy shoots him and he just is fine. So yeah, it, there's there's a, f- uh, a lot of stuff happening, actually. Do you have any new sense of what this game's actually about from the trailer? No. <laughs> okay. No, oh. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other thing worth commenting on is that it is, especially the beginning, structured like a film trailer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you get the, you actually get the from the director of Snatcher and uh, Police Knot. Yeah. And there's just like snow falling yeah. at the beginning, like really abstract. Which would not have been a common thing at the time at all. Right. Um, usually when you just saw gameplay footage, it was just kind of- Here it is. Yeah. Clips of the game mashed together, not not structured like a, like a film trailer. Right. And then the other thing that we looked at briefly was the 30 minute TV ad that at least ran in North America. Mm-hmm. That was uh, interesting. Totally. Second, I assume. Oh, did I say 30 minutes? Yeah. 30. <laughs> yep, 30 we took seconds. a long break. We're refreshed. <laughs> we're a little drunk. 30 second ad. Um, but yeah, what did you, what did you make of that? I mean, it was so stupid. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. It's, it's just, okay. So it did get a laugh out of me at one point because it's like, Basically, they're saying we're we're putting you through the screening test before you can like play Metal Gear. So these Solid are or these are human actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're human actors. Um, but all the tests they're getting the guy to do were super simple. He like solves a child's toy with shapes and then like has to pat his head and rub his tummy. And then one of them, one of the two military guys, is like, "Aren't these tests a little easy?" And the other one says, "It's for a suicide mission." Um, and so like, okay. And then it just goes Metal Gear Solid. And then, no, but the last shot, though, is from in-game footage, and it's of an explosion going off, and, like, Snake clearly getting hit by his own explosion. And goes flying. And goes flying, and right. then, it, like, like a, abrupt cut. Yeah. Like a slapstick yeah, ending. It's, yes, it's very slapstick. It. I don't feel more informed. I don't feel more enticed. <laughs> I don't know why they bothered. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll see if any of that tone is actually in the game, this kind of... Because you mentioned goofiness, but I don't think you meant slapstick. When no, you, in I In terms of what you're expecting by the goofiness. No. no, no, no. I think even like playfulness mm. is maybe more like a game that actually takes itself that seriously does not let you hide in a cardboard box mm. mm-hmm. and like crawl around and then stuff. Like that's, you know, that's that's allowing a, a levity into it that an incredibly self-serious thing wouldn't do. But I did not mean... I mean, I do hope I blow myself up and go flying because that's like one of the simplest, purest pleasures of video games is accidentally blowing yourself up. But yeah, this was weird. It doesn't fit with other stuff we've looked at. I I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. in 98. Maybe Ad, in 98. The, the, well, we should just do, um, let's just watch ads from like late 90s, early 2000s. Based on both Metroid, Super Metroid and this, I don't want to do that <laughs> at all. Yeah, so one day we'll find a good TV ad Ugh. or one that you like. Yeah, I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> yeah, like what I think is so 
strange about that American TV ad is how it presents the game so much differently from right the official trailer that they put together mm-hmm. to show the press mm-hmm. and that that's on the demo disc which what which was much more serious but playful yeah but still kind of cinematic it wants to impress yeah and and that's really something that a lot of the previews hit on and the journalists hit on um kind of the cinematic quality of the game you know actually i like so we talked about um cinematic as a term for games in Super Metroid. I've been thinking about it since. And the more I think about it, like we are being awfully flattering to cinema when we use this term to <laughs> invoke like this very intentional design and this like um, carefully crafted world that like has environmental story. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of this, like I, I have watched 10 movies in the last year that did not do those things half as well as Super Metroid did. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, we're sort of cherry picking. Like, those things aren't inherent to the film medium. Like, I, mm. those things may be things that we really like in some movies that we think are really good. And so we're happy when we see games do them because of how we value craftsmanship and creating meaning through visual stuff. But, like, movies don't inherently do that necessarily. Right. Yeah. And I think we get a different definition of cinematic game when you talk about something like Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people mentioned that it was cinematic, but they I think they meant it in this case much, much more literally. Right, 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 right. Um, in the sense that this is a game that is like a movie made by a person who at one point wanted to make movies. Right. And I mean, in this case, you here they start, I mean, you'll see it for yourself, but everybody would talk about the voice acting that was really of a quality that, especially in console games, you have not seen before. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, right. Like you have, for example, English voice acting in Resident Evil, but it's notoriously bad yes. and campy. Right. Whereas here, it's um, this is voice actors acting with a pretty dense script. I think the, I mean, Kojima even talked about the screenplay of the game that he wrote. Mm-hmm. That was like 100,000 words. Oh, my God. And so it's it's a big That's script. That's a novel, a, yeah. Yeah, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of dialogue which again is mm-hmm. kind of unique at this point for games. Yeah. Especially for action games. There's different, there's kind of a use of the 3D camera to cut between different angles. So kind of cinematic editing is Oh yeah, being that's featured in the trailer as well. Mm-hmm. There's some good like from below um, stuff, especially with, I think when Snake's hiding and someone's like approaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely showcased. And they put um, good effort into translating the game. And this translation I think is pretty good. Um, Weirdly, I think I think it was just even last year, um, the guy who translated, I think his name is Jeremy Blaustein, wrote this piece about how he he worked really hard in the translation and and really worked really hard to kind of localize it. And Kojima didn't love it because it didn't just kind of directly translate everything. Like one for one? One for one out okay. of his mind onto the page. And so Blaustein was not brought back. Whoa. I don't in, in Which, some like, ways, I feel like people who do professional translation have opinions on they like do, yeah. one-to-one versus like, oh, how do you capture the spirit and impact absolutely. of what's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in some ways, I think this might even be maybe the most coherent translation oh, no. of, any that, <laughs> oh, no. of any of them we see. Um, part of that might just be because as we go, if we, if we if you play any of these other ones, you'll see the plot and the lore just gets denser okay. and more expansive. And so I think um, it's just harder to keep up with anyway. Right. Rather than being the first one or and sort maybe, of the first one like it. And maybe my memory is faulty, but I do remember this being pretty clear, 
clearly written and okay. structured as a story. Great. And that the dialogue was good and nothing felt jarring or out of place mm-hmm. or overly campy when it wasn't supposed to be. Okay, cool. So we'll see. I, that might be completely made up. So <laughs> let's. So I'm excited to, to see. I'll let you know. But yeah, a lot of people did talk about this being as close to an interactive movie of, as they'd ever played. And that being a good thing. And that being a good thing. And I think for a lot of them, especially at this point, cinema was less something to aspire to artistically and more a sign of a medium that is respected, that can get away with with kind of violent content without politicians mm. beating down their door. Right, um, right, right, right. So I think cinema here is used in a lot of cases strategically. And so to give you an example, I found this editorial in, in EGM that was kind of about Metal Gear Solid and really putting a heavy burden on Metal Gear Solid to be kind of this beacon of maturity for the industry, a sign that the industry can be mature and should be taken as a medium that is for adults. They should have rethought that TV ad. That's what <laughs> well, they were going for. I don't know if that's what the game was going for, but this right, is what, that's what people are this journalist on is it. hoping that it okay. does. And so so I can, I'll, I'll read a bit of this. So he says that, quote, Metal Gear Solid is certainly a turning point in gaming in, the respect, uh, in this respect, meaning games being more mature. Not only is it spectacular, its content, which will no doubt be lambasted by some the same ignorant politicians, um, is unique in the mature way that it tackles both the action and dialogue. Games have been developing in this direction for years, but Metal Gear Solid is more akin to action, uh, action movie in style. There's no denying that it's violent, but the subject matter and dialogue would be at home in a thriller, be it a novel or a movie. How will the self-righteous, whining old windbags react to this? <laughs> okay. In presentation, we have something like a good R-rated movie. But will we have to continue to suffer the supposition that games are only played by kids? Hopefully it will prove to be a landmark product, not only in the way it defines a new genre, but also as an evangelist for video game acceptance. Hmm. Which is pretty heavy, but in 98, they're coming off a bunch of school shootings, right? which as usual got blamed on games. Right. Uh, this is pre-Columbine school shootings, so okay. that, that kind of big one, I mean, they're all... They're all they're they're all big. They're all big ones, yeah. Uh, but these didn't get quite as much attention as Columbine right. would. But nonetheless, there was legislation. People were proposing legislation to try to censor games or okay. ban them. So that's kind of what okay. the, kind of the so millions that they're ang- working in. There's some like anxieties that do kind of make sense here that they're right. trying to yeah. And here, when they're talking about cinema, they just mean let us have stuff that is for adults right. that is seen as respected, even though it might just be a thriller, right. So it's not aspiring to this high art necessarily, but yet let it be an art form that is seen as legitimate and that can be enjoyed legitimately by adults. Right. And it's not just for kids. It's Metal Gear Solid. Kojima even said that Metal Gear Solid, I think his demographic is 25 year olds was who he was aiming at. And at this point, do we have a like rating system for games? We do, yeah. Okay. So that's in place with this. That's in place. Yeah. So this is, I I mean, you saw it on the thing. Oh yeah, I suppose I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I... I guess that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> we're going to, we'll probably come back to this quite a bit as we go through different games, the different ways that cinema is leveraged okay. by different people to talk about games, usually positively, but yeah. for different reasons. And in this case, I mean, they meant it literally because mm-hmm. it does look more like a movie than most games ever have at, right. yet at this point, but also very strategically. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it makes sense to me to think about how games cite certain specific movies or franchises or even movie mm-hmm. genres um, because it gives you a shorthand for explaining what this world is and what's going to happen. And you can use, you know, visuals and and ideas that people are accustomed to from like being genre savvy about like, 
whatever, like a space thriller, like having seen Alien to help explain to people in game and in promotions or whatever what Super Metroid is, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes sense. I just I continue to be a little bit like a lot of cinema is not great, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's I mean, some people are trying to censor some of it, but by and large. Right. People let a pretty tame R-rated movie pass. Right. And so I think that's what's going on at this point. Right. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, this is definitely something we'll revisit again and again as we as we play more games. Cool. Now, before we end, I just want to talk about one final theme that was discussed at length leading up to and following Metal Gear Solid's release. It's an element of the game that unsurprisingly probably got the most attention, and that was the stealth gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to note how fresh and new this was at the time. As I mentioned, in 98, you had actually three pretty big games come out that had stealth as a major component, a major mechanic. But this wasn't common at the time. And I think we tend to forget that now because it seems that every game incorporates some sort of stealth element to it. To give you a sense of this, in that same magazine arcade where Gabe Newell wrote mm-hmm. a letter... Another game developer wrote a letter and that and saying that the thing that attracts him most to Metal Gear Solid is, quote, the whole stealth thing. It says, in a world of endless beat-em-ups and car games, it's refreshing to play a new type of game that really delivers the goods. And this, and for, for Kojima too, this covert aspect, the stealth aspect was the major theme of the game. And it was, for a lot of people, novel hmm. and, and new and a new approach. Magazines like Arcade talked about how this would start probably start a new genre, which they called the sneak 'em up. <laughs> that never really took off, but Too cute. But it did produce kind of a lot of copycats or other stealth games. You have Splinter Cell that comes out kind of as a direct response to Metal Gear, mm-hmm. and then you really just have the widespread adoption of stealth mechanics in games in generally. Lots of other, yeah, that we're kind of still still living with, right? So I want to talk to you a bit about your relationship. To stealth, uh, you've played a lot of games, maybe stealth-based games, but at the very least, games that had stealth components in them, yeah. optional or not. So, what are your? Is this a is this a style of game that appeals to you? Um, I think that's pretty complicated, honestly. Um, so when it, when I was thinking about this, I I was trying to think about a couple of different games that I have played with stealth as a major component because they're pretty different, and for me, my experience of them felt very different as a result. So thinking about the two main ones that I wanted to think about were Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which I played a long time ago and actually didn't finish for reasons that weren't the game's fault. Mm -hmm. And then Horizon Zero Dawn, which is not inherently a stealth game, but which I played essentially as an invisible sniper stealth assassination machine that did not ever do close combat. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I came to over the course of this is that often games where stealth is like a really intentionally built for mechanic, like in Deus Ex. So Deus Ex isn't always just a stealth game, but it does have a bunch of intentional systems set up to equip you to do stealth, including clear uh, articulation of enemy lines of sight, systems for being in cover, you know, uh, multiple um, sort of uh, through walls and stuff, pathways through spaces. Right. And if you want to create a a stealth build, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I can play the game pretty much completely stealthily. Yeah. And one of the things in that game is that 
if you lean into that stealth build, which I tried to do, you really are, you end up being a lot more fragile and not that hardy and not great at a lot of other things. Like if you want to be a stealth guy, that's cool. But like if you mess up the stealth and all of a sudden you're in a a firefight, you're going to have a hard time. So I found that game incredibly stressful. This game that is built to host you as a person who is being stealthy with all kinds of systems that communicate to you about, you know, enemy behavior and all that. And I want to contrast that with something like Horizon Zero Dawn, where there's, you know, the game anticipates a little bit of stealth elements. You can like hide in patches of grass, but it does not want you to play it the way that I played it. Like the game does was not anticipating this. And one of those was really fun for me. And the other was really stressful. <laughs> so is, the question is, is this, is this a bad kind of stressful? One of the things that came up in a lot of the previews for Metal Gear Solid was tension. Tension was a major mm-hmm. theme and people talking kind of pretty viscerally about how their heart would accelerate as they were standing against a wall, monitoring enemies moving around them and and thinking about making their move and finding the perfect moment to act. Yep. And that was a good stress and tension to them. Is mm-hmm. that not, is that a different kind that you're talking about in terms of Deus Ex? So I do understand what they mean by that tension. And I think, um, Stealth can give you this mixture of like safety and vulnerability at the same time that um, that I think can work really well. Um, like in Deus Ex, like I was saying, you're not a big beefy build that can like take a lot of shots. If you if your stealth plan goes wrong, you really sort of have to commit to that way of that way of playing. Um, I get the sense this one's a little more like you can fight if you have to. Um but you still don't really want to do that. Like, I think the best, like, stealth feeling for me is the feeling of, like, okay, okay, this is going good. This is going well. Like, okay, we've made some progress. But also that this could fall apart at any second. Like, that's a really pleasurable tension that, like, mm-hmm. doesn't trigger my, like, frustration with, like, um, failing or like dying too Mm -hmm. often doesn't like make me disengage but still has challenge and has like that dynamic so one thing that might be worth talking about is what so when a game has to deal with that falling apart Mm -hmm. moment when you do get spotted or when your plan does go awry how do you prefer that a game deals with that because for me there's always they need to work out this balance right where you get punished for being seen so that you're incentivized to actually be stealthy and so you're punished, but the punishment can't be too severe. Right. But it, there needs to be some punishment. So I'm sure you've done this or seen me do this. Deus Ex is actually a very good example of this, where I'll be trying my hardest to be stealthy. <laughs> be trying really hard. I'll have a plan. I'm yep. executing. Yep. Somebody sees me and I could just get caught and start over. Mm-hmm. But I know that the easiest thing to do is to run into a vent and shoot people in their kneecaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then my stealthy plan, I come out and I've killed like everyone, 20 people, yeah. just bodies you everywhere. Massacre. You might as well have gone in with a machine gun through the front mm-hmm. door like, and just gunned everyone down. <laughs> and yet I, I just kind of move on in that situation and mm-hmm. kind of feel bad. <laughs> like you just internalize that you did that badly, but mm-hmm. you're not going to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, and I I don't like that. I mm-hmm. want I want to still be incentivized to be stealthy. Mm-hmm. And so that should be a complete failure and I should have to kind of redo that, I think, but I don't. Right. And on the flip side, I hate the version where the second you get caught, 
There's really nothing you can do. You may yeah, as well just you're just gunned down. Yeah. Um, I would add a third thing that um, is always tempting for me, but that I wish games wouldn't let me do. And I know, fine, if I if I say that, I should just not do them. But one other thing is that if there's just basically a countdown timer of how long they'll be suspicious or whatever mm-hmm. for, and if you just go hide in a spot after 15 seconds, they'll all just go back to their normal roots. Like, I abuse and spam that if that's in a game so hard. Well, welcome to the series that popularized the countdown. Oh, really? Timer. Okay. All right. We're going to be fine then. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be okay. But the other I thing- have infinite patience for hiding in a closet or a bathroom stall and waiting for guys to go back to their normal roots. <laughs> like, I will lose hours in a game doing that if I have to. And the other thing this uh, popularized, and I know you mentioned this earlier when we were talking casually. Cone of sight, like the okay, the the cone. We have to talk about cone of sight. So when I say that, it is more fun for me to play stealth in games where stealth was not an intentionally huge part of it. Cone of sight has a lot to do with this. So, but just to be clear about what we're talking about, we're talking about like when you look on the the top down map. Often in games where stealth is is a major part. Enemies will have sort of a a triangle of light like emanating out from them in the direction where they're looking that sort of shows you what range, what their their sight lines are, right? So in theory, if you're not sort of in the cone, you shouldn't be seen. So I think this is a problem. I don't have an issue when if you have just a little bit of a cone of sight that's mostly just to show you what direction they're facing, right? Right. Because sometimes it's just dots on the map. And you're like, I can't tell if they're facing me or they're facing away. So I appreciate that. What I do believe is that if you're going to give that much information in a game where an enemy's line of sight is so important, you need to make very sure that the cone of sight that you are representing is the actual accurate boundaries of where that enemy can and can't see. Because part of the reason that it, that... Uh, stealth games like Deus Ex stress me out sometimes is that the cone of sight will be all loosey-goosey. Like, you think you're outside of it sometimes and you get spotted. I have seen wild Let's Plays where people streak right through what should clearly be in an enemy's cone of sight and they don't get, like, alert or suspicious or whatever. And conversely, sometimes you'll be clearly well outside the representation of the cone on your map and you still get spotted. So that stresses me out. If you're going to communicate information like that as a game, it has to be accurate. Otherwise, just give me like a general arrow of what way the guy's looking and let me figure out how much I can cheat and get close to them and edge through their peripheral vision. Just don't give me that information if you're not going to be precise about it in a game where it really matters. So you'd rather just have to guess? Not guess. I I would rather... I still want a sense of which direction they're Mm. looking, but... I, I don't mind having to figure out for myself where the edges of their peripheral vision are, as opposed to having a cone and relying on that and having it not be accurate. That I hate. Don't lie to me. <laughs> don't misrepresent the cone. That's all I'm asking. And I think also part of it is like, I think part of why I fell into doing the stealth approach to Horizon and loved it is actually the fact that I didn't think the game wanted me to do it. So the point of infiltration in real life is not that you are going and infiltrating a place that's set up with lots of 
cute passages and and hidey holes for you to set up in and infiltrate. The point is to breach a place that doesn't see you coming and doesn't want you in there. And for me, when I'm playing with the flow of a game that anticipates infiltration, that is one kind of thing, but it's very different to like play as a stealth infiltrator in a game that doesn't want you that like Horizon doesn't give you a lot of those really handy uh, perches and paths. Like the game doesn't set you up for that, right? And so you actually are playing like against the design of the space a little bit, which I wonder in some ways if that's like a more genuine experience of what Mm -hmm. infiltration Mm -hmm. is. It doesn't give you really good... It does have the like our guys on alert or whatever system. It doesn't have the cone of sight like really clearly articulated. And yeah, I I don't know. It's it's very different and it feels like in that game it felt like I really was choosing that so much more and mm-hmm. figuring out how to do it myself as opposed to oh this is like one of the three approaches you can take to this right. situation. Right. I mean, this just comes back to good level design in general. A well-designed level should give the again the illusion that you can move through it however you want that it is that it's a place that exists not just for you to move through it mm-hmm. but that you that you can actually attack anywhere you want while still actually having those pathways for you you just are not hyper aware of them right 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 right, right when you when you enter a room and there's a clear network of vents that make <laughs> yeah. no realistic sense in terms of the space or any kind of logic and you can only get into the ones that are helpful like right yeah right that i think that's just lazier level design yeah it's like in a cover shooter when you come into an open space that Mm -hmm. has like carefully set up Mm -hmm. crates that clearly are like okay i'm gonna here comes the waves like Mm -hmm. better get into cover you're like oh there's gonna be a battle here yeah um the one thing i was thinking as you were as you were talking so you've been on your on your own time, really getting into strategy games mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. does kind of your interest in strategy align with your interest in stealth at all? Um, one thing that came up in a lot of these previews too is every, when everybody's trying to explain to the reader what makes Metal Gear Solid different from run and gun type game or a, a third person shooter is that you have to be so much more strategic. Strategy kept coming up again and again. Hmm. For you, is this a version of a strategy game, or do you play it like you play a strategy game? That's really interesting. Um, I mean, I think I'll have a clear answer for that after I play this game and feel out um, what that mm. actually is. I can say, thinking about the difference between something like this and a run and gun, which I I don't know that I've ever played a real like run and gun game. I don't think I'd be good at it. Like one of, one of the things that, you know, I was saying earlier about how when I started playing more contemporary 3D games, it took me a while to really get fluid with controls generally uh, and to get to the point where I could pick up most games and within, you know, a little bit kind of have figured out how to play. One of the things that used to come up a lot back then, which I've only recently figured out sort of how to articulate, is that when moving and parsing what's going on on screen, especially in cases where combat gets really heavy, I used to often have a really hard time visually tracking what was going on. So part of that was me, like my, I was not great at looking, changing which way I was looking in a subtle direction. And also just once things popped off, I would, I would find myself sort of lost in the action and not able to really make sense of what I'm, what I'm looking at. And, uh, I still have that sometimes, um, when, 
in close combat often where all of a sudden, you know, an enemy will be like your entire screen. I sometimes lose the action in those hectic moments. Um, and the one of the funny things is I still am sort of prone to assuming that it's me, like that I just like can't follow it. And it it still surprises me every time I hear someone who's not me articulate that like, oh, some of the action was kind of fuzzy on this. I, I lost track of it. It's like, oh, oh, right. I guess it could be the game not communicating that well it's like this is all i just Mm -hmm. whenever i'm bad at something i just assume that i'm bad at it not that like there's the game should be Mm -hmm. like doing a better job from its end so i think it makes sense uh for the same desire to avoid a bunch of those pitfalls and the fact that i always 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 would rather have to think through what i'm doing than like twitch shoot Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like I just don't think that's ever going to be the thing that I like the most in games. So, yeah, no, it actually makes sense that some of the ideas and some of the appeal from strategy games would would port over. This is also making me realize that actually all my favorite strategy games, and especially all the ones that I love, like, mm. you know, Into the Breach, they're all turn-based, mm. not real-time strategy. Like, I don't know that I've ever really gotten into a real-time strategy game. Mm. And I wonder if that's also something about this, about being able to think it through and then make mm-hmm. a decision and then act on it. Yeah, and this kind of relates to something else I saw in a lot of the previews. And it was a style of writing about this game that, especially at that time, wasn't incredibly prominent, where people would narrate the opening moments of the game hmm. in very close detail. And this this was just this is like a bunch of previews and reviews did this. Hmm. And I think it has something to do with bringing stealth to the action genre that makes it kind of narratable mm. in a way that uh, just a, a run and gun first person shooter would. Because ah, there's an interiority to it, right? Like mm-hmm. the uh, what you see on the screen may just be Snake standing with his back to a mm-hmm. wall, but you are thinking, okay, I don't know mm-hmm. how far this guy's going to come up around the corner. And he got right up beside me. And then yeah. the last minute he stops, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to hear me. And then he turns exactly. around and goes yeah. back. Right. And that's like, you are doing that all in your own head. Mm-hmm. That's the story you're telling yourself about what's going on. Yeah. Not like the what's on screen. Yeah. And even in terms of your own actions, when you're playing these, you plan out the scenario mm-hmm. in your head and you visualize it. Right. And then you try to execute and then maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. But at the very least, you've kind of already planned it out in a way that you might not necessarily in other games or right and then you have the fun of your plan falling apart in Mm -hmm. certain ways and then you adapting and figuring out the new thing that works like that pleasure of having Mm -hmm. to improvise and then it you get by by the skin of your teeth or not that makes a lot of sense actually i can see that yeah like i think one thing that people are discovering here and again this wasn't the first game to do it but you can really see people start to articulate kind of emergent gameplay or what that means to them like gameplay Mm -hmm. that emerges or things that emerge because of the world reacting to them and then reacting to the world. Okay. And them actually be able to articulate that kind of give and take with with the game systems. Hmm. And then articulate that through the narrative and the role of Snake, which okay. is really fascinating. Um, cool. Seeing people start to write like that. Hmm. And I think people do that in criticism a lot more now. Yeah. Uh, but this was, I think this is a moment where people actually, just because of the style of the game um, and because it had this kind of narrative Mm-hmm. veneer on top of it anyway that made them really think in terms of the characters but they're really narrating these little mini stories in every room they go into which is kind of cool that's really really neat it's also interesting for me to think that that sort of awareness about emergent gameplay wasn't always there like i don't 
I haven't been active in games in a time when that wasn't a given. I mean, I think some people thought about it, but when you read games criticism, I mean, it wasn't even really criticism. It was like reviews, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't see people engage with the game necessarily in that way. That wasn't as common. Okay. Instead, it would be very much, I write a paragraph about the How music. How are the graphics? Uh, about the How graphics. The, right. Okay. But like the basic mechanics, if right. things play well. But like seeing somebody kind of bring all of that together in order to narrate their experience of the game, that that is kind of... For me, anyway, I think that was kind of new at that time. That's interesting. I wonder if there's a piece of this also that is about um, how much access consumers have to information about the game apart from through reviews, right? Because when you think about it now, if you're listening to someone on a podcast or in a mm-hmm. in an article or whatever talk about a game, Death Stranding, whatever, mm-hmm. they they might spend a sentence or two setting up Hideo Kojima's mm-hmm. new game where you are this guy, whatever, what even is, mm-hmm. no one knows what this right. But you might have like a sentence of that. But really, because we are, we have access to a million trailers, all the images, all the histories out there, you don't, you're sort of relieved from giving this like beat by mm-hmm. beat account of like, what does it sound like? What does it look like? Like you, you have on an average, like online article, several embedded images of like what it looks like. And so you almost can move on to this like more analytical Mm -hmm. mode as opposed to having to hit these like tech specs almost Mm -hmm. of. And and definitely some people always think like this way, but not every genre lens. Right. Lens that um, in the same way, especially if you're not a complete expert, like I'm sure people who are very good at fighting games break down what to me looks like nonsense. Right. Right. That just looks like so fast, like I don't know what's going on. Yeah. They can actually break that down and 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 actually explain kind of the logic behind each of it and narrate it in that way. Mm-hmm. With something like a stealth game where you're just forced to sit around and watch and look, it kind of forces you to have that experience, mm-hmm. even if you're maybe not the best at the game. Right. Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. But yeah, something to think about as as we as we play. Um, if if stealth almost gives you the sense of empowerment, um, yeah, as maybe good but stealth vulnerability yeah. also like yeah. that. Uh, really, the sense that it could fall apart yes. at any minute is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see if if Metal Gear kind of Metal Gear Solid does that. Cool. Before you play, we do have a few maybe predictions mm-hmm. um, to go through. Um, we did these with Super Metroid. You did surprisingly well. So we'll see how you do <laughs> this one. We'll I have to say, time. I feel much less equipped for. Okay, I feel so like I know less, <laughs> and there's more surprises. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these will be rapid fire. Some of them will require a bit more of a response. Okay, um, so let's get through them. So the first one, this is uh, maybe an easy one. Do you think there's going to be a love plot? Yes. Two. What do you think Metal Gear refers to? I. It literally had not occurred to me before this moment that Metal Gear would refer to anything. Uh, <laughs> just words? It's I, just the title? I think it just was like word salad in my head until... Okay. Uh, I'll tell you it refers to something. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I assume that. It could be an abstract concept. Oh, my God. It could be something physical and tangible in the game. Uh, there was like a mech at the end of the of the trailer that we watched. Um, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the, that like big... Uh, or the cyborg person. Um, I'm going to say it's something mech-ish. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm going to name five. Oh, I'm thinking of Xenogears. That's why. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I don't know. Whatever. It's mech-ish. That's my answer. Okay, I'm going to name five characters. You have to tell me which one is fake. <laughs> oh, no. 
going to get this wrong 100%. Okay. okay. So here are the names. Mm-hmm. Okay. Psycho Mantis. Oh, my God. Bruce Arnold. Big Boss. Hal Emmerich. Decoy Octopus. The second one. Bruce Arnold. Bruce Arnold? Yep. Okay. Um, next, predict one major plot point. Anything you think no, is going to happen. Jesus. Um, Snake will be betrayed by the organization he trusted. Okay. Is that specific enough? Sure. So that's already happened to him in a previous game. Oh, dang. Okay. No, no, no. I'll give you another one then. Um, but it could happen again. Snake will have to kill someone who was important to him. Okay. 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 And then finally, um, how many times do you think the game is going to make you unconsciously make the jerk off motion? <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> I mean, this is hard because I have control over the answer, right? No, because it's got to be unconscious. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, three. Okay. So not too self-indulgent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's going to win me over. That's okay, really what good. I think. I think I'm going to get... You know what? I think... Uh, something I heard said recently about the game Control, which also just came out, um, is that it needs a willing participant in the player. Mm. I think this game is going to be like that, that like it needs you to just buy in and go with it and be be willing to be down. Okay. Um, so you- I think I'll get there. I think there will still be a couple of moments <laughs> okay, so that three. pop out where I'm like, all right. Okay, great. Okay, so we'll see how well you do next time we meet. Um, but I think we've talked uh, enough about the game and its context, and it's time for you to start. So any last-minute questions or comments? I can't wait to get in the box. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can find updates and show notes, as always, at neverwasagamer.com. Follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Uh, and... Go ahead, if you have a minute, and rate and review us on any podcast platform, including iTunes. If you don't do that, uh, and if you're sort of into this episode, maybe you could tell someone you think might like it. Um, All of those things are a huge help. We're just getting started. We're just two ding-dongs with no platform. We can't promote ourselves. So it's it's awesome whenever you do that. What a desperate plea. (laughs) 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 Thanks so much for listening. Um, We'll talk to you next time where... If all goes well, Michelle will be one step closer to becoming a gamer. Doing the jerk off motion right now. <laughs> <laughs>